0: Hi folks,
1: this is Jack Spearko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and things we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is July 21st, 2016. This is episode 1800. Gee, a throwback there. 1832 of the Survival Podcast, and this is a listener call show. That means these are calls that you guys have made in to ask me questions or make points or statements, and I'll respond to them today. I have a pretty good lineup for you today. I'm going to talk about dealing with. The people that are like, you have to vote, like the manic drones, like they're just all fired up right now. And I'll give you some surprising thoughts about how I actually kind of hope this election plays out, though I won't get caught up in voting hysteria and I won't participate uh, in the endorsement of somebody I don't want running my country and I, I won't feel the need for the cathartic action of voting when I know my vote won't count. But, uh, my, you know, I'm still watching this, it's like watching a soccer game. You don't really, have a vested interest in either one of the teams But one of them just strikes you the wrong way And you'd rather see the other one win Even though you know things will probably not change And I'll tell you about that in a minute um, Also uh, we have a listener calling in about gardening And lessons about the zombie apocalypse And uh, I'll talk about the gardening thing And leave the zombie apocalypse stuff out of it Because the very next question is very similar in some ways Talking about the Alex Jones crowd And we'll have a pop culture throwback mixed in with that one that I think you will uh, like as well. We're going to hear from a Leo today about using visibility to fight crime instead of direct force. And this is actually a Leo activity I really think is a good activity. It really makes a lot of sense from because we talked about, you know, last week or earlier this week, a proactive versus reactive Leo force. And some people are saying now, what if police officers were more like the fire department? and call them when you need them, and otherwise stay the hell out of people's business. And I said, I don't know that that really works either, but there probably is some sort of hybrid, and this would be the type of thing that would work in that hybrid. Uh, then I have a person asking about thoughts on using crossbows for hunting due to injury that does not allow them to uh, to draw the bow as an archer anymore. And uh, then I have two very, very similar, a lot of similarities going on today. A lot of uh, wrap-up in the, uh, the hysteria crowd, which there's a lot of crap going on to cause that right now, and then a lot about hunting, shooting guns. So the last two questions are about shooting rifles and handguns. And while they're kind of coming from a different standpoint, my answer is largely the same. So when I get to those, I'm going to play those two questions back to back, and I'll handle some nuances of both of them, but I'm going to go ahead and, and play them and knock out that as a final segment. Then I have a song for you from all the way back in 1990s, our closing song, and some thoughts on it. And I wonder what it is that, in this modern age, keeps you believing in something. I'll just say that for now. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and uh, take a look at the year that was the episode. The year is 1832. I have a new Jerusalem in America, and I have a modern travel guide is needed. That one's really interesting. You might want to read that one because I'm going to read the other one for you. But in other news, the Skull and Bones Secret Society is established after a dispute between Yale debating societies. Why? It's a secret. In the modern day 15 men and women from the Yale junior class are tapped to become members the chosen usually campus leaders or people of note the word socialism comes into use it's promoted in France by Pierre Leroux and Robert Owen founder of New Harmony Utopia along with the Wabash utopia yeah still hasn't turned into that now has it i'm just saying colonel william travis is taken prisoner by the mexican army for a short while his supporters in Turtle Bayou, Tejas, published a set of resolutions supporting General Santa Ana and the Mexican Constitution of 1824. The general will let her grind the Constitution into the dirt. Did I say that out loud? Travis will make his last stand at the Alamo in 1836. I'm going to read A New Jerusalem in America because I have a wildly different take on this than I think most people would ever expect me to. A correlation that I don't think most people would ever draw. After translating the Book of Mormon into English, Joseph Smith has received the revelation that a new Jerusalem will be established in America. The Second Coming is near, so he calls on his followers, the Latter-day Saints, to gather at a camp in Jackson County, Missouri. It is to be the location of city of Zion. About 100 will show up the first year, but their numbers will grow rapidly, and the resentment of their neighbors will grow rapidly as well, because smart part of Smith's revelation is that the land of the sinful will be given over to the LDS faithful, This revelation reflects what the Lord promised to the children of Israel in the wilderness of the Sinai. The people of Canaan had displeased the Lord, and since the world is his, he can give land over to anyone he pleases. You now understand why the people of Jackson County will be getting very nervous by next year. In 1838, the so-called Mormon War will break out. and The governor will issue the only order in U.S. history to exterminate a religious group or expel them. Your choice. The extermination order will remain in effect until 1976. That is not a typo. The order will remain in effect into the 20th century. Quote, The Mormons must be treated as enemies and must be exterminated or driven from the state if necessary. For the public peace, their outrages are beyond all description. L.W. Boggs, Commander-in-Chief and Governor of Missouri, uh, August 27, 1838. Alex shrugged, I believe in revelations. I do not denigrate such experiences. On the other hand, I do not run to follow every person who has a revelation. In other words, I try to use my head for more than just a hat rack. After a careful reading of the Bible, demonstrates that revelation is not limited to one group, nor to a few lofty leaders not even to an especially good person. If you recall, the leader of the recent slave rebellion, Nat Turner, reported he was visited by the Holy Spirit, good person or not, such revelations per se were not an unusual feature of the time. LDS slaves claim to revelation in the modern day, and a few revelations that LD members have shared with me seem prone to be misunderstood. Certainly I do not understand some of them, so I set aside as a mystery and move on. I am an Orthodox Jew, and that is difficult enough to understand. Okay. So most of you guys know I am not a practicing member of any faith, and I classify myself as a deist, meaning I believe in a creator that I don't even want to try to define for anybody right now, uh, and most of what people think they know about deism is is, is wrong anyway. Um, so that means that I don't believe what the Mormon book says, I don't believe what the Bible says, I don't believe what the Old Testament says, I don't believe what the Quran says, I don't believe any of it, because if I believed it, then I would be that. So any comments on the revelations, religion, will only serve to piss off people who think I'm offending them because I don't agree with them. So I, I'm not going to have that take at all right now. I will say that I think that revelations do not require religion or even a belief in an anthropomorphic god. That revelations could be simply that we are spiritual beings or energetic beings in some way and at certain times can come into tune with the universe at a higher level. And that would give us personal revelations, but the interpretation may be... A symptom of the problem, so to speak. In other words, what we interpret may not actually be what the revelation really was because of perception bias, confirmation bias, just like any piece of information we can get. We can get a piece of information from the news and uh, take it totally the wrong way or not understand it. So, you know, at a higher level, it might even be more difficult. But my take on this is actually really radically different than Alex's and it's a correlation that's so close in time I think it has to be made so I think you could see if a group of people showed up in your area and started saying that the whole of a county or the whole of a part of a state or the whole of a town uh, was was destined to be in their possession by God how you might start to have a problem with that if they started to take some actions that actually was taking things away from other people you might have a bigger problem with that You know, I'm just saying. And uh, if their numbers began to increase in massive, massive numbers, you might start to see them as actually a hostile invading force, and you might decide, they got to go. And that is what happened. And I'm not short-selling the unconstitutional nature of what happened or the the bad that was done on both sides in in the Mormon Wars and, and through the year of 1838. What I'm saying is you can understand how people would feel that way on the other side of it. And you might even say to yourself, self, if somebody came here right now and started doing that where I live, we might decide that force is necessary to expel these people. All right. Well, we're going to come into a time in the settling of America very soon called Manifest Destiny. Manifest Destiny. While not from an individual religious leader tied to an individual religion, the Manifest Destiny and the justification for... Moving the native peoples out of what was left of America at the time, America at this time, just the entire continent uh, at the time before, and and what have you, and that is, it, it was essentially the same thing. The nation was told that God wanted us, wanted us to go forth and settle this land, that it was God's work, and I think you can see here that. The bigger the, the, what, the, what determines the winner in such a situation who has a greater capacity for the use of force? My take by Jack Speerko. just think about that as we go through the next few years and get into the actual Mormon wars and as we hear about the concept of manifest destiny um, as we move through towards the middle 1800s and into the 1900s. just saying with that let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Bobwell's Nursery has become my go-to for fruit trees, nut trees, and hard-to-find edibles. Their customer service is second to none, and they even provide a 10% discount for all MSB members. Check them out at BobwellsNursery.com today. You know, guys, I've been telling you about how Safe Castle Royal has everything for your prepping needs for over seven years now. Everything's a big word, but in this case, it's true. Of course, they have long-term storage food, water purification equipment, shelters, solar and wind components, and more. But hey, did you know they even have an amazing fold-down, bug-out bicycle? Yeah, they actually have two of those. For everything you could ever need as a prepper, and I do mean everything, check out safecastle.com today. And with that, let's take your first call of the day.
2: Jack, this is Andrew in Texas. Here's my question. Short of grabbing an idiot by the throat and dragging them to the light, kicking and screaming, the election mania is just they're start it's starting to take hold. There there's no negotiating with these people. How do you deal with people who think that the only option is to vote for the less of two evils? I don't know, man. It's crazy. You know, these people act like the only thing to do is to vote and line up and get your handouts. I don't know. God is
3: great, beer is good and people are crazy. I like your input man
1: um the short answer with no words and just a little bit of music is you need a new booster shot, a new inoculation for the Ask Clown circuits. Here you go. and and that really is the best approach right now there there's a lot of hysterics going on right now and and this ironically ties in with a a call i'm going to answer in in just a bit with how to deal with people um that are well one way or another off the off the hinges and uh, so i'm going to save some of just the the concept of how to deal with people like that but I, i think that here, here's what you have to understand about people that are all wound up about this election. They they come in one of two forms primarily right now. There are the the Bernieites that still think Bernie's going to get there. Okay, like the Tedites that got really disappointed recently, and probably even think Ted's kind of a douchebag now. But whatever. Uh, after what he pulled last night, um, yeah, um, it, it, they're really the people that hate Trump or they hate Hillary. Right. And and they're 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 at a state right now where we have to stop the other side. We have to stop the other side. That's it. That's all that they want to do is stop the other side. And I'll I'll admit that on a on a s on a sort of a kind of a level, I'm not immune to it myself. Um I said earlier in the year that if you made me choose between Trump and Sanders or Trump and Clinton, in either instance, I might just put my forty five to my head and pull the trigger if you were going to make me vote. Um, and of course I don't really mean that, but you know, basically like I don't really want any of these people. But in looking how Hillary Clinton has behaved in the last year, in the last 30, 40 years, um, I, I would prefer to see Trump win this election. Um I really would. I don't think that he'll be the savior of the country the way many people believe, but um, in the end, I I can't see four to eight years with her mouth running at us. I mean, if, if for that alone, I... I so if, if me, the, the anarcho-libertarian who refuses to vote for any of these people, who won't even support Gary Johnson because I don't believe he's actually a libertarian... Um, who thinks that basically we should be trying to figure out how to eliminate the state, not how to reform it, to, to even say, yeah, I'd really rather see this guy win, tells you how divisive the situation is. So now imagine the uninoculated person who, and I don't mean with the circus music vibe, but I mean just no real understanding that this whole system is rigged anyway. The, the, you know, the, the, the first problem is there's a belief that the president has a lot more ability to do things than the president actually can do. Um, they can, they're pretty good at stopping legislation, but they're not really good at getting legislation passed. You need Congress to do that. Um, executive orders, yeah, but in spite of all the hype, they're actually inherently limited in what they can do. Supreme Court justices, I'll give you that, and. Even I'll admit, I, I think I'd prefer to see Donald Trump, if he's going to do what he says he's going to do, um, appointing justices, rather than here, than see Hillary Clinton appointing justices, if she's going to do what she says she'll do. And I tend to believe her and I don't know about Trump, so at least there's a chance. right? So if I feel that way at all then imagine how the average American feels. And then what you have to understand is, can okay, you say negotiate with these people? You negotiate with people when you want them to give and take, right? Like So negotiation would be like between me and my son when he was young. You want to go to the store? I want your room cleaned. So you see how we have to meet in the middle here, right? That would be a negotiation. Like we both have... Actions we can take to give toward each other. Okay, first of all, you don't get to decide how other people live and what they do and what they think and what they feel. And what do you have to give in a negotiation? You have nothing, because you're not going to say, "Well, I'll tell you what. If you chill out about voting, I'll go vote." Right? There's no, there's no negotiation to be made. You're right. There's no negotiating because. They're, they're, so what you have to kind of do, right now with this ass clown circus, is sit back and watch it, and watch everybody go crazy. And pay attention to how they go crazy. And then when it's all said and done, and whatever thing they were like totally in fear about doesn't happen, then you can say the next time they go crazy, do you remember when? But in the end, just why do you give a shit? Why do you give a shit that people around you are telling you you need to vote? Do you think they have power or control over you? And like I said, I'll save any more on this for the third question of the day even though it even kind of plays in with the second. There's a lot of fear out there right now. There's a lot of FUD fear out there right now. Let's take this next one.
2: Hi, hey Jack. Tactical Redneck out in Pamela, 50, out North Carolina. I just had a quick comment about the whole concept behind when the zombie apocalypse hits. I'm going to take home. from the ground. They're just going to grow, as well as a shout-out for the Zello Network. So a couple of months ago, I moved and gained access to a decent amount of what I thought was dirt. After planting a bunch of seeds, I quickly discovered when nothing sprouted that it was only actually about two inches of dirt and then all of the dredge material for when they dug the basin at the local marina. So in digging holes to actually put potting soil and topsoil and compost in the ground so that I could actually grow something, I actually found a shark's tooth. Yes, I found a shark's tooth in the ground. So if you're going to plant some stuff then a survival-type situation, you might want to start practicing now. On that note... I also have to give a huge shout-out to everybody over at the Zello channel, um, or the TSP channel on Zello. Those guys have been a tremendous help for me in the trial and error process that has been me trying to grow stuff here. So, anyway, thanks to everybody there. Thanks for everything you do. That's Patrick Redneck, out.
1: All right, so so a couple thoughts there. Number one, I play that mainly for the shout-out to Zello. I jumped on Zello for a bit today, but I was in uh, pre-production, so I, I couldn't stay on. And, and things get chatty there sometimes, and you, you can't even say goodbye. But Zello is an awesome thing, guys. It is like – think of it like a ham radio channel for people without a ham radio. You can use your phone, your computer. Uh, there's different applications for it, and you can connect – with the survival podcast cello group, and they're great people, and they cover a wide variety of topics. Though, if you're listening and you were on there this morning when I was on there, the topic I walked into today was uh, it was just out there. Let's say there's a lot of out there going on. Now on gardening, okay, I'm gonna again leave the whole zombie apocalypse type thing for the next call because there's this common theme running with this tremendous amount of fear right now in, in the world, um, and I'll, I'll I'll save my comments on that really for next but here's the thing with gardening if it's going to be part of providing um, seriously providing for you at any time well then the time to start is now no matter what now the concept that you're going to be running a garden and producing for yourself in the middle of whatever you want to call the zombie apocalypse it, it is really pretty preposterous it, it really is to be able to garden, you need, you need resources. Yes, we can do a lot with compost. Yes, we can have a well or a lake or a stream for irrigation. Yes, you can do it with almost nothing, but you have to have resources in order to garden. Okay? And that means you have accumulated resources. You have things other people would want. And people are about, you know, bugging in on the down low. I have a question for that for Monday show. And my head's beginning to hurt with the amount of fear that's being built up. But let's start off with just the situation at hand. So we've got a person that looks and says well, there's, some, there's some topsoil, some soil, some dirt, and then there's like this, all this like marine stuff like sand and shells and crap underneath my house. They probably built the area up with fill and then threw in some topsoil. Let's talk about the denuded crap they would call topsoil that they bring in there. It basically means clean dirt. Uh, the, the grass will grow in if irrigated and fertilized when you throw down sod and you build houses. So that's that's what you've got. So your garden's not failing per se because of sand and shells and stuff below the ground. It, it's really not. And if it's only two inches of dirt and you planted a garden, well, when you planted that first garden and it failed, I don't know how you didn't notice that because when you dig a bed, you should go more than... Two inches deep unless you built a raised bed, which would solve your problem anyway because that would work on pavement. You could put ten, a 10-inch ten deep raised bed on, on a, a uh, parking lot and grow vegetables if you get the soil that you're growing in right. Long term, all of that marine life below you actually should be an asset. What you have to do is develop soil life above ground, and then as you start having little creepy crawlies moving around in there, they're going to be bringing all little pieces of that uh, subterranean stuff up, and they're going to be uh, bringing those minerals. And then there's going to be dynamic accumulators that get down in there, like comfrey, that can mine those minerals. And I mean, people are paying good money for things like green sand and, and, and what have you to bring minerals into their land because they don't have it. So, you gotta balance your soil is your problem, the soil that you're actually growing in. Because what you're, sounds like you're probably growing in is the denoted fill dirt that they call topsoil that they bring in in developments. And you probably have almost no biological activity, very little organic matter there, and, and there's your problem. But as far as subsistence gardening, it's a skill that you develop over a lot of years. Over a lot of years. And if you are concerned that in our long-term future, it's going to be necessary to produce some of your own food to survive or to be even okay uh, or be a little bit better off than everybody else than the time to start is now. That's absolutely – I've been teaching that since the very beginning. And I'm really holding myself back right now for the next call because I'm going to kind of cover all of this stuff from these first three calls after you hear the next one. So let's go ahead and hear that now.
0: Hey, Jack Rich from Northern Upper Michigan, Grizz by Survival Punk Fellow. Uh, I just wanted to share an experience with you. Uh, A couple years back, I was listening to your show almost daily when I was at work. I'd keep the volume up just high enough to where, you know, I could hear, but, like, not everybody else had to hear it. Uh, But if you were within, you know, six, seven feet, you'd hear it. You know, so be it. I don't really care that much if uh, somebody, you know, hears what I'm into a little bit. But uh, apparently that planted a seed, (laughs) a seed that grew into an Alex Jonesian. And uh, that seed came up to me like two, three days ago and uh, started, you know, running on about it. Honestly, I, I stopped listening after, after I realized how crazy he sounded. But he uh, he was going on about Obama's third term and, uh, you know, causing a race war to it, martial law. And, uh, I don't know what Alice Jones is preaching over there right now, but uh, it sounded kind of scary. And uh, I guess I'd like some advice on how to handle this. Uh, how to handle these kinds of things. I mean, do you just look at them like they're crazy and treat them like they're crazy or what? Uh, I basically just looked at him and said, you know, I worry less about UN troops than I do about zombies. And I'd hoped that... Uh, I got the reaction I hoped for. He kind of, like, got real big eyes, turned around and walked away, so... <laughs> um, but I'm curious how you would react, uh, respond to, to something like that. Thanks. Uh, thanks for everything you do.
1: Bye. before we have to get into this, I have a, a confession. The uh I have contacts in the government and I can get any surveillance um, audio that I, I want on any of you people. I don't know if you know that or not, so I actually have a uh a surveillance uh, piece of audio from uh from when this uh this original over the shoulder uh thing happened in this Guy was listening, you know, to the survival podcast and how that all played out. You want to hear it? You don't believe me? Here you go. Mm. 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 Milton. Spain. Hi. Uh, could you turn that down just a little, little bit?
0: But I, I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume from 9 As to 11. Yeah, yeah. no, no, I, I, I know
3: company. you're allowed to. I, uh...
0: I was just thinking maybe like a, you know, personal favor. Well, I, I, I told Bill that if, if Sandra's going to listen to her headphones while, she, while she's falling, then I should be able to listen to the radio while I'm collating, uh-huh. so I don't see why okay. I should have to turn down the radio because yeah, all right. okay. I enjoy listening at a reasonable volume Thanks. from 9 to 11. No. Hi,
1: Peter. And after that, there was a long, pointless discussion about TPS reports. Um Of course, that's actually not from the NSA or any type of government agency. That is a little cutout of the movie Office Space, and I'm sure you got the humor if you like the little cult movie the way I do it. If you didn't, you're like, what is this all about? But if you've never seen Office Space, you should, and you'll have a new respect for red staplers and many other things, especially if you grew up working or you came up in your career working in offices uh, throughout this country in the 1990s. It really is the epitome of... Everything that Dilbert's been telling us about for for thirty to forty years, and when I just said thirty to forty years, I thought surely Dilbert's not that old. Uh, twenty seven years, Dilbert's been around for twenty seven years. Uh, debuted April sixteenth, nineteen eighty nine. So anyway, um, I, I figured we needed a, a break from the tension with all of this uh, this tension and this fear. Uh, let, let's examine first of all. Why people like Alex Jones are always pushing it to be more dangerous than it was last time, even when they've been doing it themselves. I think he's been doing this crap for over twenty years. He he made a complete ass out of himself during Y2K. I'm just saying. Look that up. go to Google and just look for Alex Jones covers Y two K, like the couple hours leading up to it. Jeez, I mean he made like the world was falling like it was falling apart in time zones and it was coming to get you and it was so preposterous. Um but that's exactly why this crap keeps coming out of people like Alex Jones that have been around so long. When you have a following and you, 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 you contain your following and you influence your following based on fear and you keep giving them shit to be afraid of and that shit never happens, then... Over time, you have to keep ramping up the fear, which is kind of the same thing government does to control its citizens, is continuously use greater and greater fear. Oh, you can't imagine what it'll be like if the other side wins, or oh, these people here are more evil than any people we've ever uh, fought. They can't be negotiated with, right? You know, and the stuff with the U.N. trucks, I'm going to explain the U.N. trucks to you guys right now. This is how this works. This is this is actually why sometimes people do see U.N. trucks in the United States, usually on the back of a trailer being pulled by another truck, they build them here. We build this shit, okay? When it comes to building vehicles like that, we're better than anybody else in the world. So we build it, other countries buy it, and we ship that shit to a ship that takes it where it needs to go. They are not convoys getting ready to impose martial law on you. We covered this already. And I just said, the guy that made this call called back is like, Jack, I just heard you call when you wanted to shoot yourself. You show where you wanted to shoot yourself over some of the UN stuff, and I'm sorry. And I was like, no, I'll play this call. He's like, don't even play it. I'm like, no, I'll play this call because it's not coming from a point of fear. It's coming from these other people are freaked out. Okay, so here is the the summation of all three things kind of convoluted together. He's constantly with this apocalypse, zombies, and fear, uh, UN, all of it, okay, and other other people feeling that way, and and elections, and other people feeling they have to vote a certain way, or you should vote a certain way. In the end, why the F do you care what they think? I mean, this is what you have to start realizing, that if your life is going to be... Happy or sad or content or irritated or you know you're going to make that delineation based on how other people think and feel. You have resigned yourself to be a miserable human being all the way up until the day that your heart stops beating and they bury you in the ground. And then maybe your your, your spirit will find some peace in the afterlife. Maybe I don't know. I haven't been there yet, at least that I can remember. Okay, so if that's the case, then. You have to go back to the whole circle of influence and circle of concern thing. Like your coworker thinking that Alex Jones is a prophet might be in your circle of concern, but it, it it really even though it is that close it's probably not in your circle of influence at the time. Because people in that state will cling on anything and everything to justify staying in that state until they're personally ready to exit it. And I'm seeing it more and more lately right in our own uh, group. I saw a guy on Facebook that follows us our, our fan page on Facebook. Seems like a listener, and I originally put out about 18 volt tools. You know, I, that's what I like. I like 18 volt DeWalt tools. But oh, a, a little thing. Dewalt in their 20 volt line. We did the show on power tools earlier this week. They now have a badass nail gun. That will nail a true framing nail gun. Three and a half inch nails in. 20 volt battery and no, you know, no power packs or anything like. It's 100% electric. It is badass. I didn't know about it when I did that show. I would have put on it. It does cost more than the the passmore, but if I ever buy one, I'll be buying the DeWalt unless a competitor comes out with a more affordable one uh, that, that that performs as well. It's an amazing tool. But, anyway, I put this stuff out about eighteen volts. I always buy twelve volt to fourteen volt tools because when when the world comes to an end you 'll be able to uh, jerry rig car batteries that will be you know w- widely available to work with them, and you wouldn 't be in to be able to do other things my My response was it pains me that people in my following still live with so much fear after eight years of my hard work. Look, we prepare for Failures of systems of support, because there are all types of things that create failures of systems of support, and that's called being a grown-up and being responsible to be prepared when the things that you expect to be there aren't. And there is the off chance, the one-in-a-million-perfect hormonal mass ejection that hits the grid and shuts it down or whatever that could cause, you know, kind of like a temporary back-to-the-stone-age thing. It's possible uh, the global pandemic that that, that is it, it, so vicious that it, it it acts like the Black Death did in, in, the, in the you know the Middle Ages and wipes out a quarter or more of the world's population, sends the planet into disarray. But even in those instances, you're probably not going to be spending the rest of your life uh, hunting car batteries and jerry-rigging power tools to run off of them. I just and, and all of this stuff, right? I mean. I, I, I do have to give one bit of props to Alex Jones, man. I've always said, is this guy ever going to see anything happen and not think it's a false flag? Apparently, he's, he agrees with me. The Dallas doesn't look like a false flag. It looks like an organic event that happened because of agitation in the situation. So at least maybe there's hope there. I don't know. But in the end, this is what you have to start doing. Live your freaking life like it's the only one you've got. Live your life like it's the only one you got. Because guess what? In this corporeal existence, it's exactly what it is. You get a dash between a couple of years when they put you in the ground It's like a stone over your head. Put you in a little vessel with a little, little thing on it if they cremate you or whatever they do. You get a dash. You get a hyphen. Make the most of it. Stop worrying about all this shit you can't control. And the first place to stop worrying is about people's opinions and thoughts if they don't influence you. If you have a boss... Who's convinced the end of the world is coming, so he's, uh, he's put a moratorium on raises. Well, then you have a problem with what he thinks. Okay, and you probably need to get a new job without a crazy boss. Right? But, if your boss just believes that the end of the world is coming, and it's, unless he's bothering you about it and interfering with your work, your coworkers, same thing, why do you care? Why do you care what they think? And, why engage with someone who's being irrational? Who won't listen to facts? And this is how you find out if a person's being irrational. You give them cold, hard concrete flax. Man, I, I, I saw I heard this report. It's on the internet and if you end trucks in Kentucky, ah! okay, well listen, here here's the deal. They they, they transport the trucks after they're built put them on ships and they look here you can look online and see where that is actually happening. These are the places these vehicles go. They don't they don't need UN troops in the United States. Basically the United States pays for the UN like and you just show and then if they go, Oh, you don't understand and they keep going, then you just go, you know what, I'm sorry I cannot help you. Or the the answer is much in the 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 conclusion of the last caller here. You know, I'm more worried about zombies than the UN. And the guy gets you know flustered and leaves because they realize how ridiculous that they sound, maybe. I, I don't know, but at least they go away and don't bother you. And that's all you can ask for anything. If you believe in liberty and freedom, then every dumbass around you is free to believe any dumbass thing that they want until they start doing something that actually impedes the rights and freedoms and liberties of another person. Freedom doesn't just mean that the guy over there that wants to smoke pot or eat pot brownies is allowed to do it. You're supposed to leave him alone right? Freedom doesn't just mean that you should have a right to keep and bear arms. Freedom doesn't mean there's just two dudes down the road that want to get married should be able to, and even if you don't like it, you should just, you know, let it go. You also have to let people believe any dumbass thing that they want to believe. Whether it's religious in nature, whether it's political in nature, whether it's geopolitical in nature, whether it's temporal in nature, it doesn't matter. Right? And, And you know what's getting me right now? And I'm having to check myself with this. This new movement of moronic, complete dumbasses with the new flat earth movement and i can't tell if these people are serious or they just want to see how many people they can get to believe them with with, oh i took a picture and i can see more than 15 miles and that proves this or antarctica is not real do you know you i have a guy emailing me this crazy shit and he said you can't even book a flight directly from south africa to australia so I go to Qantas, which is the big Australian airline and say, Can I can I fly from Sydney to Johannesburg nonstop? And turns out you can. It took literally like less than one minute to run that check on their website to see if you can book a flight there. This guy's preaching it like it's gospel because he saw it in some idiot's YouTube video, some derelict, you know, I mean, you believe whatever you want religiously, even if I don't share it, and I can respect your beliefs unless you are a moron. There's this moron pastor with this hour-long PowerPoint this guy wanted me to watch talking about the earth being flat and proving it because of the resolution of his camera lens and because supposedly... Um, I can't think of who it is now, but uh, somebody we covered in the, the history story, some some liquor manufacturer made a uh, a, a commercial that shows a guy going up in a balloon breaking the hitting the dome right like because Hennessy right so Hennessy is what it was about right so Hennessy has the secret and they're mocking us with it and Hollywood mocked us with the Truman Show this kind of nonsense well. I'm going to tell you right now, I I might find it a little bit amusing to look at these idiots online, but if I meet somebody that actually believes this shit, I'm not going to waste my time and energy engaging with them and explaining to them how the earth is in fact round. If you've renounced all reason to the point of believing that we live on a flat earth surrounded by a giant cliff face that is Antarctica that you can't cross and you can't get to the South Pole, it doesn't work. And everything Nash has ever done is is, is CGI, even though they were doing it before they had CGI, you know and, and, and that type of thing, and that you can only go up a certain number of feet before you hit a crystalline dome that we're held captive under. If, if you have gotten to that level, then I'm going to approach it this way, And I would like everybody asking me these questions to, like, this is my answer. I'm not the jackass whisperer, and neither are you. I can't fix stupid. The words of Ron White, you just can't fix stupid. You can cure ignorance, but you can't fix stupid. Now, let me explain something about stupid. Very intelligent people can grab on to stupidity... And use their intelligence to justify the stupidity because it's something they wish to believe. And that's why I'm saying, I'm not, nor are you, the jackass whisperer. And more of this shit is coming, and the Obama third term crap and all. Listen, if Obama was going to run for their third term or try to use martial law, that was the plan or whatever, he wouldn't be standing next to crooked Hillary, in the words of uh, Donald Trump, right, saying she's the most qualified person ever to be president. You know, well, we're going to be a war. We've had elections and wars. I have a friend, a very respected friend, telling me the same crap because he's wrapped up in this shit. Let it go. You're not the jackass whisperer. Let's talk about other things for the rest of the show.
4: Hey, Jack, this is Austin again in Central Texas calling this time about uh, uh, proactive versus reactive law enforcement. Uh, being a police officer, I can see where citizens want to reactive, and I can understand that. Uh, just an example of one proactive thing that I do and my partners do, uh, we have a lot of businesses in our area, Walmart, Target, mall, uh, shopping center, uh, et cetera. And one of the proactive things we do that I've seen a great success rate in is simply getting out of our cars, parking them at the front of the store, and walking through the stores, uh, talking with employees, walking around. Uh, I've physically seen people select items, uh, begin to place them in their pocket and, you know, put them away. And then I've also seen, seen a statistical drop in theft since we implemented this policy. So that's just one example of a benefit too proactive. I know there's uh, pros and cons to both, but just something to uh, throw my two cents in. Thanks, man, and thank you for everything you do. Have a good evening.
1: Well, Austin, I think that's fantastic, and I I think it's the type of thing that law enforcement officers should be doing. Um, In order to be effective in the prevention of crime, see, now, what you're actually talking about isn't a proactive stance to go out and catch someone in the commission of a crime, but to prevent the crime from being occurring in the first place. Since I see law enforcement in the area, I know that if I commit a crime that I'm likely to get caught I don't want to get caught. Everybody that does everything that has any risk runs some level of risk-reward ratio in their head. Now, there are the delusional people, the sick people, the jackasses, whatever, that go off on a limb, right? The the people that... um, The people that... Well... Like the guy I remember seeing a long time ago on uh, on TV on Dumbest Criminals, they had security camera footage of him, and he went into a grocery store, took off his clothes, and rubbed himself down with lemons in the produce section, and uh, then believed himself to be invisible and went on a shopping spree. And of course, he got arrested. Like so, people like that, like that, you being there is not going to help. There was apparently a guy. Re- I tried to find that story online recently to put out on Facebook to point this stupidity out. And um, I couldn't find anything, but apparently it was a guy that that rubbed on his face, rubbed lemon juice on his face and thought that would prevent security cameras from seeing his face and was surprised to end up in trouble. So I I don't know where that myth came from, but apparently some people believe it. Um, So those types of people know, but a person with any sense, if they see a heavy police presence – Is going to think twice before committing some level of transgression that could get them into trouble. And that's good. The problem we have today is people don't see cops and are like, hey, how are you doing? People see cops today and feel like, man, what is this guy doing here? You know, what are, what are they up to now? Why? And and, and the reality is you have a dynamic going on. There's two things. One, I do believe most police officers. Are well intentioned people doing the best they can in the situation they're in? But as I've said before, I believe that even you guys that are good officers have the back of officers shouldn't have the back of. And I don't mean shouldn't have their back in a situation that's dangerous where you're helping them from being harmed. I mean, when you, when they've done something that they shouldn't have done and you don't see something and say something, that type of thing. Um, you know, I, I've talked to cops like, well, we don't want to air our dirty laundry or whatever. Well, then who's going to, right? So, I think if 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 we're going to solve this problem that we have between the public and law enforcement what we have to do is get back into a situation which is what I remember from like being a teenager in the 80s having police officers that we just had conversations with you know I mean that you didn't see a cop and, and and think oh my god what what's going to ha- what's going to you know what, what could happen next why are they here they're out to get me if you saw a cop running radar, you'd slow down, obviously, right? It's the same, it's the same thing. You know, um, in Arlington, Texas, every year around Christmas when they have a lot of exit accidents right around the Cooper Street and I-20 exit, and it's all people flying and hauling ass and then people trying to get off and the mall traffic backs up, they've come up with a brilliant solution that's, that's drastically reduced um, traffic accidents. Not just speeding as a whole, but traffic accidents, rear-end accidents at that exit point. They have this old uh, uh, police cruiser that's just kind of a dilapidated jalopy, and they just drag it down there with a truck, and they just drop it off, and it looks like a cop running radar right there by the overpass for the exit. All the cars slow down. Now, that's not a bad thing. Right, people that think cops are the enemy, like you're delusional, and I, I guess I can't get through to you because I'm not the jackass whisperer, like we just said, right? But, but the people that have legitimate concerns, we have to like back up a minute and say, every time you hear that a cop shot somebody, doesn't mean the cop did it unjust, unjustifiably, or every time you hear that a cop, you know, kicked the shit out of somebody and handcuffed and put them in a car, doesn't mean it wasn't justified, but it, it's possible, and and the way that the two sides can start to have a dialogue and a conversation again is when it's clear that the police need to be extremely vocal. That's not us. That's not what we do, that's not okay, and that son of a bitch is no longer considered a brother officer, and you're no longer part of the thin blue line, and if your department has any backbone, they're going to kick your ass to the curb, and you should be doing something more in line with your capabilities, I don't know, mopping up restrooms, scrubbing toilets, washing dishes at a Denny's, somewhere where you have no authority given to you beyond what anybody else has so that you can't interfere in the lives of other people. You're not qualified to be a mall cop. And I think, law enforcement guys, you should be doing exactly what Austin just said, but I think if you guys really give a shit about this problem, some group of you is, are going to start an organization... Call law enforcement for the truth, and you will tell both sides of the truth. Most of us do our jobs this way, and we are out there to serve and protect you, and cop-hating is bullshit. However, there are bad people in every profession, and we stand with the people when one of our own steps out from that blue line, across it, and behaves improperly, and we will call for their immediate dismissal and removal of any authority whatsoever. If you want a solution to this problem, then you have to be the solution. And, and and law enforcement, you gotta look at the other side and you gotta see there's people like me that are saying, hey, there's abuses, there's police brutality, there's unjustified uses of force. It's true, and we're tired of you all saying it's a few bad apples. It's one of the most insulting freaking things you can say to the public. It is a disgraceful thing. Even if you're a good person, when you say stupid shit like that, okay, a guy with a badge, a taser, a gun, a dog, and other people with guns that can take somebody's liberty, that can beat somebody, that can club somebody, can spray somebody in the face with pepper spray, and has been granted the authority of the state and a badge to do that, who abuses that power and perpetrate, perpetrates that on someone that it's not justified for, is not a bad apple. He is a vehement piece of shit, okay, that's what he is. And you can start with this guy that was recently shot in Florida down by Miami police. There's a, an autistic guy sitting in the middle of the road playing with a truck, playing with a toy truck. A black guy, another black guy that's a volunteer, knows that this guy's getting in with the law and, 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 and is saying, you just need to lay down and put your hands up. And it's trying to talk this this autistic person that's having basically a tantrum with his little toy truck and he's laying on his back and saying, don't hurt him, he's autistic, don't hurt him, he's autistic. And a cop shoots him in the leg, handcuffs him and waits for. lets him lay there shot in the leg waiting for an ambulance. And you know what? That's how cops are trained. He, was tra- he did what he was trained to do after he shot him, not before he shot him. When the guy said, why did you shoot me? The cop says, I don't know. That's not an acceptable answer. Now, what I think here happened is with all this shit going on, the guy got nervous, freaked out and made a mistake. I don't think it was I don't think it was I'm going to shoot this guy cuz I hate him. But it was wrong, and it was wrong enough this man does not need to be an officer anymore. And I'm going to say this right now. A lot of times we don't know what happened. We're not sure. It could be a different angle, it's hard to figure out did this guy really have a gun or not? Was he fighting? Was he struggling? You know, there's second-hand information. In this instance, we know an unarmed man who posed no threat was shot by an officer, and when the officer was questioned by the man he shot, who fortunately survived, about why he shot him, the officer's answer was verbatim, I don't know. Okay, we know that's unacceptable. If you're a law enforcement officer and you can't say this officer behaved incorrectly and should not be an officer, then you need to take your badge and you need to go hand it to your chief, take off your clothes, go get a job doing something else. If you can't say it now, you never will and you're not worthy of the authority granted to you above your fellow citizens. You're not. It's a gut check. It's clearly wrong. It's so clear, no one would misunderstand it. Now, I don't, again, I don't believe it was just a guy that hated black people, which is the narrative that you'll hear spun out of it. But someone has to take the first step. And we hear all the time how those of you in law enforcement are the most noble among us. The noble should step first, if they're truly noble. But I completely agree with what Austin and his his partners are doing. I think that's a great way to police. Be part of the community. But it'll get easier if people trust you. And people will trust you when you admit the wrong within your own group and cast it out, rather than protect it and try to hide it and try to justify it. Let's take another one.
3: Hey, Jack, I a question on crossbows. Uh, I hadn't heard, or at least I don't remember hearing you talk about them in the past, and used to archery hunt a lot, and then I found out that Texas now allows you to hunt with crossbows, and I can't pull a bow back with my shoulder, so I figured I'd see if you had any thoughts or opinions on crossbows. I've got about $1,000, $1,200 I was looking at spending, and just kind of wanted to see what you thought. Thank you, sir.
1: Well, let's start out with the budget. Um, I think for 300 to $600, you can put together a well-equipped hunting crossbow. I, I don't think you need to go out and spend as much money as a good AR cost to buy a crossbow. And, and I, I don't think that you probably should. I think that you should invest that money into other things, whether it be for other things for your hunting uh, or whether it be other things in your life or put it in a jar and stick it under the bed. Yeah. Um, unless you have a specific like model. Because, I mean, I don't want to crap on anybody's desires if you have the money and the budget and you want something. Um, you know, I have inexpensive guns, and I have expensive guns, and not some of the expensive guns I have just because I want them. But if what you want is a utilitarian tool to kill a deer or a, a hog with, uh, then, then, you know, you can go out and get something like kind of the upper end, I would look at as like, Barnett Diablo in the $600 range, and then you do need some accessories and all for it, but it, you know, you're know, you not talking about maybe another $100, $200, and so then you're around 800 bucks, and that's kind of top end. Uh, PSE makes a crossbow called the Fang. It's a damn good crossbow. It's $350. Bucks. Um, uh, Barnett makes one called the Jackal. It's not that bad. It's $260. Now, I, I would advise trying to find a shop in your area that maybe has some that you can shoot and go learn more about and try to figure out exactly what would serve you best. Um, You know, what you're looking for out of a crossbow is you want it to be as lightweight as is reasonable uh, just because it makes your life easier if you're lugging something around and don't weigh as much. You want something with sufficient power to do the job, and almost everything out there that would be classified as a hunting crossbow is more than sufficient for the job at hand. Another feature, and this is where you do get into higher-cost uh, bows, is quiet because you can extend range with a crossbow over, I would say you can extend range over a crossbow with a bow, but that's not even that much true anymore with some of the, the double-cam bows and stuff like that. You can shoot 60, 70 yards with them. But when you're shooting anything with a bow and arrow, there's a time of flight of the arrow and there's a sound when it's released, so the quieter, the better. Um, those are the big things that you're looking for. So I, I'd get out and shop with them. Now, as far as a crossbow being an advantage over a bow for people, I think a lot of people think like we shouldn't let crossbows be used in archery. There's only one real advantage. People think a crossbow is like a rifle, like, you know, pinpoint accurate and anybody can shoot one well where you have to be more disciplined to shoot a bow. I can probably shoot a bow just about as accurately as just about anybody can shoot a crossbow out to range of 30, 40 yards, which to me is archery ranges for my personal restriction on myself. So I'm not, you know, I'm not a believer in, in that, you know, precision. There's one main advantage. There's one main advantage to anybody using a crossbow over a bow. And that is the time it takes you to raise, to, to draw a bead and to shoot. And the, the and it's not even the time; it's the, it's the reduced motion. So anybody that's archery hunted knows, especially and a lot of times you get shots at deer archery hunting. You get shots, you know, 15, 20 yards. I shot the the closest shot I ever had on a deer. I shot at nine yards with a bow. Nine yards. It's hard to get a bow up, out, and draw. That's a lot of motion, and deer have amazing eyesight. But what they really see is motion. So with a crossbow you can just come up and you can shoot. The other is on hold. So to combat the movement what one generally does with a bow is, is a, you have a deer approach, you wait till it drops its head, you you wait till it goes behind a tree and you think it's about to come out the other side and you use that to get up. And sometimes if you really think it's coming out you use it to get the draw done because you've got something between you and the deer. And it's a funny thing. They tend to just decide to kind of hang out and play around almost every time you do that. It's kind of like the, when you drop the toast, it always lands butter side down. Mythbusters proves it isn't true, but when you drop the toast, it all you just, of course, of course. So the deer goes behind the tree, and he's walked past four other trees that weren't right, and he just walked right past them, and you pull it back, and he just stops. And he's, back he's not alert or anything, but there, taking a dump or eating or whatever and just won't come out. Now, you've already drawn the bow back. Your muscles begin to fatigue, and you've got a choice. You either wait it out, and you get more and more fatigued and less likely to make a good shot, or you let the draw back down, and you've lost the initiative. Where with a crossbow, you just basically are sitting there holding it, waiting. Those are the two big advantages, and they are advantages. But they're not... They're not the way people make them out to be, and I, I personally think that most states uh, should move to allowing crossbows as archery equipment. Um, they certainly are not equivalent to a rifle. Uh, they they are not. And I think it would get more people participating, and that's where I selfishly kind of feel maybe they shouldn't, because then that way um, you... You just uh, you have less people, and that's good for you if you're one of the hunters. Now, the other side of this, I want to point out. Though he talked about a shoulder injury, I've struggled with this myself in the uh, in the in the late 1990s. I discovered you know hunting with a release with a bow, which is basically a thing you hold in your hand, wraps around your wrist sometimes, but it, it locks the string, and you pull the bow back. And most competition archers um, shoot with releases. Uh, because they have a certain amount of greater consistency when they shoot with releases. I don't believe it's actually more accurate than shooting with fingertips, which is how I grew up shooting. Well, when I was a kid and I was hunting archery in Pennsylvania, it was illegal to use a mechanical release, unless you had basically like a doctor's note and got a permit for it, an exception. And when I went back to Pennsylvania, I I found out that they had approved mechanical releases, as many states have approved crossbows, as as being okay. Okay. So I, I bought a new bow from a shop, and they convinced me to use a release. And I have a pretty serious shoulder injury from my time in the military. And uh, in using that mechanical release, it aggravated that shoulder injury a great deal. Because when you pull back with a release, if you, if you think of holding a bow with your left hand and pulling back with your right hand with three fingers on the string, you can see how your arm would be, like, horizontal to the ground, and your, your, your hand is vertical, well, if you use a mechanical release, you turn your hand over so that your palm's facing down, and now you're gripping the release and you're pulling back, and it moves the muscle group from low with your arm and your, your bicep and your tricep to up high on the shoulder. So one thing I would say is many people that feel that they have shoulder problems shooting a bow, if you shot Apache style or finger style, as they call it, uh, you may find that you don't have a problem. And I always wore a shooting glove. When I did that, just because you practice a lot, it wears your fingers out, and uh, I just didn't, I preferred to shoot with a shooting glove. And uh, that might be a way that people that don't want to make the move to crossbow can, can, can stick with uh, a bow. The other side of it is, in many states that say you can't use a crossbow for archery, if you actually have a legitimate injury uh, with referral from your doctor, you can obtain approval from your state to use a crossbow and I think it's a valid way to be able to stay in the game and this is what I would say too for people that maybe have a pride issue if I ever seriously started hunting a lot with archery again I probably would take that route if necessary if where I was hunting wouldn't allow the use of the crossbow and this is why if you're going to hunt archery a lot you owe it to the animal the game that you pursue to practice a lot. So, with my shoulder injury, I can shoot a bit here and there, and I still feel like I've got it. But if I was going to be very serious and I was going to be out like hunting, you know, season long and taking multiple animals with a bow and all, I would feel an obligation to practice at a higher level. And if that got to the point where it was causing me pain and injury because of the repetition, then I would take that other option rather than not hunt at all or not be at the top of my game when some animal's life is on the line. I'm gonna take its life, but I want to do it with dignity and respect. So my thoughts on crossbows is they are a completely valid hunting implement. You can probably get into the game for three to six hundred bucks. It probably makes sense not to overpay for your first crossbow. It probably makes sense to get out to a good shop and talk to them. And if if that's what works for you fine. And I will say again though, people with shoulder issues, if it's not severe it's just it causes pain at all. Try learning shooting Apache style. If it doesn't work, give it up. But give it a shot first because I got to the point where I was ready to give up. I was I'm like, I guess I can't do this anymore. And I just decided one day to go out and shoot three fingers again and just changing the grip, I have no issues at all right now, you know, going out and, and firing, you know, twenty, thirty arrows at a time. So uh That's just some thoughts and ideas. I'm not an expert on crossbows or anything like that, so hopefully this helps anybody that's kind of in that world, so to speak. Okay, now I'm going to play two calls in a row about guns, and you'll see why you'll hear the similarity between them, and I'll come back with my thoughts on learning more about guns and how to shoot them and take care of them, et cetera. Hey, Jack, this is Chris in Alabama. Um, My question is, where should I start getting a better education about guns? Uh, my background is i grew up uh
3: hunting and fishing and on a farm and using guns quite often uh but um my scope there was limited to um basically like a 12 gauge or maybe a rifle of some sort mostly like a 22 or something like that um i just want
2: to further my knowledge and actually learn more about guns um uh, despite having
3: a few guns of my own now i just don't know that much about them and just wondering where would be a good place to start uh improving my knowledge and education of guns and about guns. Uh, anyway,
2: thank you for all you do. Jack,
3: is is Jake Robinson. Yeah, I took a beating, a, a drumming from Steve Harris, <laughs> who uh, called me a dumbass, and probably I deserved it. But I did give him permission, so, hey, all's fair. I uh, love you, Steve. Shout out. Uh, question. How would you go about learning to use a handgun? Um, I own, I bought a handgun, here's the background, I bought a handgun, actually I won one, a, a drawing, but it was actually the handgun I've been looking for, an XD, a Springfield XD subcompact. And I have a carry permit, but I don't carry yet, and I want to start carrying, but I've never handled or used a firearm except the short time I used it for my carry permit uh qualifications. I'm fairly okay with rifles. I grew up using .22s and deer rifle and etc. But I never handle uh, a handgun. So how would you go about, what's the ABCs of how you would approach learning how to use a handgun? Is there a book you would read? I know you might uh, say go to classes, but, you know, I don't, I don't think I need to go to a tactical class because I'm just a beginner using a handgun. Watch YouTube videos, use air mean, what, what would be a regimen you would like, for example, if you were going to learn how to play golf, they say don't even go golfing on the golf course. Go to a range and learn how to hit the, the ball. Go to the putting green learn how to putt. And then the first time you go out and, and play golf, you only bring three clubs with you, just basic, three different clubs, really basic, so that you can learn the technique so that later on you can learn use all the clubs and, and have a little bit more finesse about how to, to use all the tools. So is there something similar like that using handguns? Anyway, convoluted background, but I think you get the gist now. Um, there might be a lot of people out there like me that because you're so advanced with guns and a lot of the callers and listeners that call in with advanced questions about guns, maybe they're afraid to say, hey, I don't know how to use a handgun or even a rifle. How do I get started? Uh, any advice would be welcome. If you need any more detail... Uh, shoot me an email. I'll be glad to fill in any questions that you might have about my situation. Appreciate it, brother. Keep up the good work.
1: Okay, see, you can tell right there why I put these two together, even though they're coming from a slightly different position. Shake zoning in mostly on handguns and the other collar guns in general. Okay, I want to start out with I think especially with handguns, it really does make sense to take a one- or two-day course minimum of basic tactical handgun usage, and it's because I don't know of another course that's going to give you the fundamentals necessary to develop good habits and good form and good shape with a handgun. With rifles, that would be a good idea too, and one way you can kind of shortcut this is, is find a place near you that does sporting clays or skeet or something like that and take a few lessons with someone and how to to use a shotgun properly. This is for form more than anything else, these two recommendations, and here's why. You can watch YouTube videos and, and, and then you can go out and buy a gun and have an unlimited supply of ammo and go to the range every day. You can do what I recommend, which is, as Jake mentioned, get a good gas blowback back airsoft gun and they make a Springfield XD all metal clone. You can get the exact gun. Uh, you can just order it and I'll send it to your house and you can get a, a thing to fill it up with propane and you can go out and shoot for, you know, fractions of a cent a shot. You know, I mean you can go out and shoot what would cost you $100 at the range and be out like 4 bucks. That's great. You can put it in your holster and you can practice drawing and you can practice magazine ex- uh, exchanges and all of that stuff here's the deal. If you're practicing improperly, all you're doing is reinforcing a poor technique. And this is where you have to realize that there's more than one right way to stand when you shoot a handgun. There's two totally different schools of thought that are that are around right now. And for, for instance, I had a friend of mine over here the other night and we were drinking some beers and grilling some meat and we set some targets up and I pulled out one of my 1911 airsoft guns and Kind of sold them on how cool they really are. Again, I want to do that show. Um, and uh, we're, we're shooting, and I, I, I take the gun and I did some shooting, I did some move and shoot stuff. And he goes, You, sir, were trained before 1990. And I said, Well, you're close, right? Um, and it's because if you just think of martial arts at all, my stance is very akin to a front stance in martial arts. Left foot forward, knee over the foot, right? 60-40 balance ratio, locked up frame, right arm longer than a left, Canted down, modified weaver grip. That is how I shoot because it's how I was trained. A lot of trainers now are teaching a stance that's far more close to like a horse stance in martial arts. You're, You're far more square on the target. You're not turned. It's been done this way a lot of times because, you know, the tactical people are always wearing body armor. Well, here's the thing, you're not. But that doesn't mean that that's not right either. I have some great videos on YouTube on shooting a rifle that both the the uh, the first caller can check out. I'll put links in the show notes today. And I got so much stupid crap in the comments over it. Your right arm sticking out. That's chicken wing and you're going to get your arm blown off in a firefight. And I'm standing here holding a 22 talking about shooting a squirrel out of a tree. I don't know when squirrels got armed, but again, I'm not the jackass whisperer, so I just delete those idiots. Right? So that's another thing with rifles. Well, are you talking about tactical carbine? Or are you talking about sporting rifles? Now, there's a fundamental that's the same with both of them with head position, the eyes, bringing the weapon up to eyes. You can see that in all in my videos. But if you go take some classes or just a few hours of training here and there with someone who's good at what, and this is the thing, you gotta make sure they're good. Now, I gotta tell you something else. Good shot doesn't mean good fundamentals. There are some people that can do everything wrong. And they can knock the the ass out of a fly at 50 yards in spite of the fact they're doing it wrong. It is better to learn it properly. If you're naturally talented, I I can you know kind of put it this way. Dizzy Gillespie with a trumpet. Look him up and watch him play. One of the most talented trumpet players ever for the sounds to come out, but his cheeks puff out like a, a, I don't even know, right? Like a giant exploded chipmunk. That's wrong. I play darts. I am a pretty good I don't play much anymore, even though there's a dartboard in my garage. But I used to play in leagues when I was in my 20s and going to bars all the time, and I had a 23 handicap. Those of you that know about darts, I'm not great. I'm not a pro, but I'm a pretty damn good dart player. And people say, well, show me how to throw darts. And I'm like, you don't want to learn from me. i like, what do you mean? I have this weird kind of pencil-like sideways flick that I throw a dart with. It works for me. It doesn't mean that's how you should learn. If you learn the right way and then develop some kind of weird thing that works for you, that's fine. But you should learn the right way. Or you can't practice. Because for Jake, what I would say is, and I want to say something right now that's going to get a bunch of people pissed off at me. But all you guys running around doing magazine changes all the time that aren't law enforcement or some kind of you know security detail or military it's not there's anything wrong with it, but it's probably pointless. Oh, you don't know it could be a firefight. I'm going to be there, go tell my buddy, to yell, throw me a magazine or whatever. Ah. Okay, listen, I would challenge you to show me a, a, a instance of a citizen using lethal def- lethal force in defense of life, liberty, and property in the last 50 years where he did a magazine swap in the middle of it. Now you're Googling, and you're going to spend a lot. You might find one, but it's not what normally happens. It's just not what normally happens. Most gunfights, end really, really fast. Now, I, again, I'm not saying not to do it, but is that where we start? Because, see, that's Jake's point, and I, I kind of agree with it. If I'm just learning how to use a pistol, do I need to learn about running and gunning and dropping magazines and clearing, clearing malfunctions, yeah, you should. Because that does happen. There was a malfunction that saved my grandfather's life and the bad guy had the gun malfunction and didn't know what he was doing, thank God. Okay? So malfunctions occur. But the magazine swap stuff, it's not that it's not important, it's not that you you shouldn't do it, but, but maybe you can wait. But I would tell Jake, like if you wanted to learn how to use a handgun for defensive purposes, yes, get an airsoft clone of your gun or the closest thing you can. I like clones because they'll fit the same holster that you're using. Put that gun in a holster And have a target in front of you, nine meters away or less, and draw that gun and come into your perfect position that you've been trained to very slowly. I'm talking, and I probably should do a a YouTube video of this, and I'll get bullshit from the jackasses about it when I do, but bring it up, and and you don't bring a gun out, you bring it up and push it out. Even people that disagree on the stance, the kind of modern class and classic stance, would agree. In a in a combat situation, that gun comes up and it comes out because if you bring it out and I'm close to you, and you bring it out, I'm likely to pull it out of your hands and beat the shit out of you with it or shoot you with it, right? So it come, and it also how you get into that perfect locked position that you've been trained for. Put the sights on the target, aim very slowly, get them lined up, pull the trigger. Come back into the tuck position, safety back on the gun, reholster very, very slowly. Very slowly. I'm talking maybe six to ten seconds from draw to fire, and maybe four to five seconds from fire back to holster. Very slowly, where you feel it's ridiculously slow. And do it over and over and over. And then go to multiple targets, and then draw, fire, fire. And that's probably too fast, but I don't want you to board. Back in, safety on, back to the holster. As you're drawing up and you're coming in, it's, it's at the point that you're beginning to push it out that that safety comes off. If you're shooting a gun with a safety, a lot of the double actions today don't have a safety, right? Um, so that's just kind of the entire movement over and over again where to find people i think there's trainers all over begging for business it's a it's not a business i would go into being a trainer um especially a trainer that's looking to work with you know small classes or individuals because there's so many people doing it it's a tough business i know a lot of people in the industry that you know market themselves as big time trainers but their business is really light because people only have so much time to go to these courses and things like that finding friends that are Good with guns is another great thing to do, and getting together and and shooting. And that's why, again, that's why I love airsoft. You know, you can get gas blowback airsoft handguns. You can get a gas blowback AR-15 that has simulated recoil. The bolt bolt moves, everything, works. it comes apart the same way. You can, you know, load the magazine with 30 rounds. You can shoot it. It's got the same sights. You can put the same optics on it. It it feels like an AR. It costs three, four hundred bucks, but they have them. And that means you can practice with friends anywhere, and you can get correction, and you can learn the right techniques and the right safety as well. And safety is incredibly important here. It's kind of a deep, hard question. But I'd also say get involved with granddaddysgun.com, form a group, and just start. Don't. We're going to have the first official one that's in my vision this fall. I know no one else is going to go do it first. I'm going to have to do it first. We're not doing it here. I've got a guy. We're ready to get it all set up and roll. But we don't want to do it when it's a 1,000 degrees outside and everybody's miserable all night long in a camp out. Just get together at a range. Get together in somebody's backyard where you can shoot or get together in somebody's backyard with airsoft. Get together and have a beer. Talk. Make it a social thing, too. And just get around people that have guns. I don't know Tennessee very well, uh, but in Pennsylvania there's things called rod and gun clubs that you can join. There's basically bars, but they're kind of affiliated around fishing and hunting. And the people that go there, you might imagine, are fishermen and hunters. They know about guns. So that's another option. You know, go to, Talk to your local ranges. Do they offer courses and stuff like that? You don't have to take full-on three-day tactical pistol course to get the type of thing that I'm saying here. And here's why I say even if you want to learn to r- rifles, to consider going out and taking professional instruction, even for a couple hours here and there, on sporting clays or skied or, or or trap or something like that. The biggest problem people have with a rifle is their position is completely flat-ass wrong. And I don't care if it's tactical or practical, their position's wrong, their head's wrong. And if you watch my videos, you'll see all this. You point a rifle exactly like you point a shotgun. It doesn't matter that, you know, you don't have a shot pattern, you have a single projectile. It doesn't matter that maybe the rifle has a scope and the shotgun does not the fundamental position, the swing, the lead, the follow, the engagement of a target is all exactly the same. And if you can shoot a shotgun well, you can shoot a rifle. Take away all your mythology about being able to hit, you know, a person if you're within five feet of them with a shotgun in a tactical situation. I'm talking about knocking a clay pigeon out of the air the size of your bare paw fist. You make a bare paw fist if you know what that is. Flying fast. 30 or 40 miles away in a crossing pattern. If you can hit that with a shotgun consistently, you may not immediately pick up a rifle and shoot one-inch groups, but you know how to point a rifle. You know how to handle a rifle. So, again, I think the, the most underrated and best training system for people, rifles and and handguns, whether it be a hunting rifle using you know something that the airsoft gamers would call a sniper rifle, or whether it be tactical using an AR clone or an AK clone or whatever, uh, or using handguns is airsoft. But it won't do you any good if you're practicing wrong. Here's another example of the, you know I did the dart thing and Dizzy Gillespie. How about Shaquille O'Neal? When she, Shaquille O'Neal was playing, and he'd come here and play against the Dallas Mavericks. Uh Don Nelson came up with a defense called Hack-a-Shack, right? So anytime this guy got inside, you know what he's going to do? He's going to go up and he's going to make a basket. So he just had his guys, whoever's nearest him, just grab his arm, foul him, put him on the line. He sucks at free throws. Even if he makes half of them, we're ahead by half, right? We're ahead because you know you get two versus one. So they call a hack-a-shack, and he got really pissed off about it. And he practiced free throws over and over. This guy, it's not like Sha- Shaquille O'Neal is not a dedicated athlete, right? And practice and practice and practice. But he was terrible at free throws, and he was terrible at his form, and therefore his practice reinforced being poor. He practiced being bad. So if you just go get an airsoft gun, set up a bunch of targets, and start shooting them, And it gets really easy to be like, bam, 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 bam. And you have no judgment over whether or not you're doing it right. You're reinforcing bad habits. And because you relax and you know you're not going to kill anybody, you might develop very unsafe habits. So my final piece of advice here is going to be wherever you start practicing, either have somebody with you who knows what to look for and can identify the faults in your form, And help you correct them. And believe them when they tell you this. In fact, even tell them to do, if you know, take a picture of me. Take a video of me with your phone and show me what you're talking about. And if you don't have someone, at least when you know what you should be doing, get a tripod or something, set up a camera or a camera phone, and video yourself in your form. And then critique yourself. This is how you learn to shoot well. As far as learning about guns, now, YouTube videos are outstanding for learning about your XD, Jake. Okay, how do I disassemble it? How do I clean it? How do I get it back together? Fantastic. Watch the video. Don't follow along without watching it first. Make sure the guy's not a moron. Right? But you got to think about safety. This is the last thing I'll say because this has gotten long. This is how you treat every gun you ever put your hands on. Imagine there is a laser beam like a lightsaber, like a Stephen Harris lightsaber that is 300 yards long. And it's just like a lightsaber. If it it goes through somebody, it will kill them dead. And it only works on living things. So you don't have to be afraid to point it at the ground or the wall, right? But if there's a living thing on the other side of that wall, you have to be afraid to point it at it. And so they, they say don't point a gun at anything you're not willing to destroy. The problem is people think that means picking it up and pointing, like, I'm going to shoot it. No, every time you pick that gun up, you pretend that laser beam's coming out of that barrel. And if you muzzle somebody, and that means the muzzle crosses their plane, you've just cut them in half with a, with a Stephen Harris lightsaber or Luke Skywalker lightsaber. You've killed them. And you handle your airsoft guns that way. And when you get kids and you start teaching them to, to, to use play guns, and I'm fine with that. You teach them to teach, you know, to, to treat them that way. And people say, well, what about when kids play war and stuff? Well, that's different. When I was a kid, we used to play war all the time. And I was like a little kid. I mean, like nine, ten years old. We used to run around the Florida swamps with toy guns. And you saw somebody, you point the gun at and say, "Bang bang, I got you." And they had to stand there and count to thirty while you hauled ass and set up another ambush and stuff like that. That was fine. But when it comes to you know, we're out and we're actually using them in a simulated event, we're going to treat the gun differently now. We treat an airsoft gun the same way. Treat an airsoft gun that way when we're standing around. If you're, a g- I don't play games, but if I was, you're standing around as a gamer, you don't point them at other people standing there five feet away from you. But when you go out, you shoot somebody with it. Because it's safe. There's also rules of engagement. A lot of people don't know airsoft games from what I've looked at. It's pretty complicated. A lot of rules of engagement too, distances and stuff. Like after a certain distance, close you don't because you can do a lot of damage with higher powered airsoft guns at close ranges. I've seen some pretty nasty pictures of some dude's ear with like it looked like a like a weird piercing. He had like nine pellets in the rim of his ear, right? So you have to treat everything with with a modicum of safety and then proper practice, right? Use video to your advantage. Everybody that has a smartphone. You know, get a little nine dollar, uh, phone holder for a tripod. And most people have a tripod if you don't get a cheap tripod. And just set it up and just practice in front of it. And I'll, I'll try to put, maybe I'll put some videos together this weekend on pistol practice. You know, and, uh, I'll just deal with the ad. I get tired of, sometimes I don't do YouTube shit because it's not that I care what they think. It's just I have to deal with it. You know, I have to deal with their bullshit. And I put out stuff for informational purposes and then people drag it away from that. But uh, get involved with Granddaddy's Gun Club. Get out to ranges. Get out to gun stores. Talk to people. Find people that can train you to train yourself, I guess is what I'm saying. A good trainer doesn't, you don't go back to him over and over and over again. It's not like therapy. We've got to do it for 10 years, right? You get a basic understanding of what you should be doing. When he says, yes, you're doing it right now, hand him your phone and say, I want to make sure I can practice on my own. Video me doing it. Let's look at it together. Tell me where I'm wrong. Just like if we used to do football and I was a okay, kid looking at freaking tapes of yourself screwing up, not scoring a touchdown. And then when you know what's right, video yourself and critique yourself. That's a great way to train. Hopefully that helps everybody in this. And, and again, Airsoft is a beautiful training tool. With that, let's get uh, remind you guys real quick. If you like the work I do and you want to support it, join the member support brigade to do that. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more. You'll get great discounts. And, uh, that's all I'll say about that today. Next up, I want to remind you guys the other way to support me is by going to tspaz, tspaz.com, zcom whenever you're going to shop on Amazon. And from there, you can link over to Amazon and you can, uh, buy whatever you were going to buy anyway and we get credit for it. That's, that's just so easy. Like, there's no extra effort. You type in one less letter, you click a button and you, you do your Amazon shopping. I, I don't know that there could be an easier way to support our show. Uh, And a lot of you buy stuff on Amazon every day, so why not support our show when you do it? And you can also, from TSPAS, click on the link for the item of the day and see what the item of the day is. And our item of the day today is actually um, one that was going to be, like, probably by next month I was going to get it up anyway, but I ended up getting it up early. Uh, They're just 16-ounce amber beer bottles, swing-top lids like a Grolsch bottle uh, from Mr. Beer. And uh, they're they're a great product. I used to use 32 ounce bottles um, for my mead, and I've gone to the 16 ounce bottles because well, mead's precious, right? My precious, right? So you can always take out two bottles, but if you take out one big bottle, it tends to go away, right? So that's that's kind of why I went to them. But the reason I moved them up is the box arrived uh, yesterday, and uh, I went out to get it, and I picked it up. And I looked at it and said, "Nan." and it was like a big box with two small box, two small case boxes inside it, 12 bottles each box. It didn't sound good, and uh, it didn't look good. I bring it inside, and one box was fine. The other one, like, it sounded like glass sand rolling around in there. It was really kind of busted up. And so I did a return ticket. And just real quick, I'll tell you the response I got from the uh, vendor, because it's not a direct Amazon vendor. It's a vendor selling through Amazon. I'm sorry to hear about the condition of your Mr. Beer 12-Count Swing Tap glass bottles. Arrived in, we make every attempt to pack items securely and protect during shipping, but sometimes damage does occur. We always appreciate customer input on how we can improve our services. On this occasion, we do not require you to return the original. You're welcome to keep, donate, or dispose of it, whichever option is most appropriate and convenient for you. I would like to help you. I've created a replacement for you at no additional cost. Here are your Details, order number, shipping speed, guaranteeing delivery by Friday, June, July 22nd. So still two-day delivery. Here's a check- link to check the status of your order. I hope you understand we do our best to ensure customer orders, blah, blah, blah. So they immediately sent me a new – it was like – it was within two hours. I don't know exactly when because I went to do other things and came back and went, oh, crap. So probably less than 30 minutes, that's what happened. And, you know, right after that, there's an email from Amazon confirming my new order. So they took care of it pronto. And, and that's what I'm looking for in a company I do business with. I try to give great customer service, and I try to recognize when other people give it to me. So, swing top bottles, great. If you don't want swing top bottles, remember, if you're gonna shop on Amazon, tspaz.com first, support our show, doesn't cost you a dime out of pocket, doesn't really take any more time. And those of you international guys, I got a solution, I think, uh, to that. It might take me a week or two to implement, but soon I think if you're in Canada, UK, etc., you'll still be able to shop through the Survival Podcast, and we will be getting credit for your business if you do that. Of course, you do want to uh, also consider doing business with the TSP Business Directory at tspbiz.com. That's just people from this audience that have listed themselves in our business directory. It's a great way to be found and do business with members of this audience. And uh, remember to leave reviews for people when you do business with them. Today's supporter is DC Custom Design. They specialize in custom metal fabrication. They've done everything from custom metal science to dining room tables. Check them out at the TSP directory or call them at 308 And with that, let's get into um, the the song of the day. And uh, today's song of the day is a song that came out right before I left to join the Army. I, I looked it up today to see when it came out, and it said September 1990. Well, I was done gone by then. And I was like, I remember that in my, my summer after my senior year in high school. So I looked up in the album, right? We used to call them albums back then. Do they still call them albums, right? Doesn't make any sense if they do. It was released on uh, June 21st, which would be right, right after I got out of school. And I really enjoyed that summer because I had already enlisted and I knew I was going away. And, uh, so I had that album right away. It was very popular when it came out. It was, uh, really, really popular. And, uh, the band Poison is a, a band that, you know, like, I don't like every song that ever came out of them and all. And they, they're part of that whole glam metal craze and stuff like that. But this was a song that the first time I, I heard it, um, I, I really, really kind of dug it. And I'll tell you a couple different personal things as to why. One was I had a, a brush with almost meeting uh, Bret Michaels and uh, Bobby Dahl. Uh, because a friend of mine's uh, older brother was actually personal friends with Brett, and they were, like, getting ready to go out and do some stuff. Brett had come to his house in the coal region of all places for a guy, and, you know, and they were already pretty big time, and uh, basically we were told to get the hell away and curse that and stuff by this guy's brother, but, like, there he is, right? And that was a big deal. I don't think I'd really care that much today, but, you know, I was, like, 14, 15 years old when that happened. But the line and the stanza in about the suicidal Vietnam vet you know I grew up in like I mean blue collar you might want to call it like dirty blue collar or something like black collar for the coal region where you know people just didn't have much and but what they did have was a sense of patriotism and a lot of people served and a lot of people were drafted and you know when today Vietnam vets are like the old men well in, in the 1980s, these were guys that were only 10, 15 years out of Vietnam, and these were guys that were, you know, my age today. And, you know, we had a pretty big sense of community, and you knew a lot of these people. And I can't say that I knew anybody that was suicidal that I knew of anyway, in my my uncles and, and friends, and my father's friends, and stuff like that. Um, but I knew there were people who I could tell that really had it still a, a hard time dealing with life and when i heard this song the first time it, it it made me think of them and the year before this song came out it was my uh between my 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 junior year and my senior year of high school i had a friend named clint Heder, and uh i remember you know seeing him the last day of uh of our junior year and just hanging out and talking to him and and we'll see you next year and all because even though we lived in this area where it was pretty small, we just were really good friends at school, but we weren't the kind of people that hung out outside of school. And, uh, it was, uh, like the day before school was supposed to start my senior year, and you're going your senior year, and I mean, that's, that's, that's the exciting year, and you're going to graduate, and you're going to be the head of the school, and all that stuff. And I'm looking forward to seeing my friends that I hadn't seen through the summer. And my father says, Do you know a guy named Clint Hedder? I said, Yeah. Why he goes he he died well, what happened and apparently, two days before school started, he shot himself and it was the first time that i'd ever lost anybody that was really a friend that was really a friend that wasn 't an older relative that you kind of expected you know uh, I'd lost a grandmother that was like a mother to me, and that that was that was hard, but you know she got cancer, she was in her late sixties and kind of knew months before she passed away that it was going to happen to actually have a friend especially a friend at an age where you think you're invincible and you think your friends are invincible not only die but kill themselves was pretty hard and there's a line in this song or stands in this song about one of Brett's friends killing themselves My my, my best friend died a lonely man Uh, in a hotel room. And, uh, this guy's name was, uh, what was his name? Uh, James Munio, I think was his name. Uh, let me, uh, James, James Mono. James Mono. So, when you hear that song, you hear a lot of passion in it, and you'll hear it in just a minute. It's probably been a long time since a lot of you heard it. Um, you, you listen to this song and you th- you, you you think maybe this is you know, based on something real and, it, and in this case it was, and there was a video because back in the eighties and ni- early nineties every song you know major release had a, a video that went with it, and during the video there's a point where right toward the end of that stanza you see Brett even though the sound keeps going stops singing and looks really choked up and that's because of this and what actually happened. They have this TV playing in front of them that shows all this other stuff going on, but that's kind of green screened in type of thing. On the actual monitor, uh, the director, uh, put footage of his friend on the, on the monitor to elicit emotion and to make the song more real and more passionate. And it actually worked too well. Brett, like, lost his composure, had to leave the set for several hours. So, Again, on the final cut of the video, during the second chorus, you can see him basically holding back tears and just kind of stop singing a little bit before the music stops. And they didn't cut that out. So it was real and genuine. And this is all on Wikipedia. You can look it up. But that was kind of known when that song got popular. This is is what this is about. So it was real. So it it kind of hit me. But the reason I'm playing it for you guys today is because of the, the concept of something to believe in. Some people believe in... Their faith or their religion, and they say that's enough. But I think there's also the fact that we're here on this planet with all of these crazy people, dumbasses, and and jackasses, and all this stuff going crazy around us. And what do we believe in for the here and now in the world, rather than just what we believe in for the afterworld? I think we have to believe in each other, and we have to believe in ourselves. And and, and that. Is so important in this day and age where we're dealing with all this hysteria and all this stuff where people are, you know, just seem to have lost their minds. And, and we, you know, I've, I've talked recently about how I look at America and the ideal that is America. I want to believe in, I want to love it in my heart again, like I used to as a young patriotic man that was willing to join the military. And, 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 and in the words of the guy I played a song from this week recently, I can't find her anymore. She's disappeared in a lot of ways. But that ideal is real. And ideals are never killed, they're never destroyed. That's something I believe in. I believe in myself. I believe in this community that I've built around this show and the good work that everybody's doing. I believe in the power of the human spirit. I believe that we really are better than we look right now. And I believe that we will succeed. I believe that we will achieve. And there'll be hard times in the middle, and that's why we prepare. But I don't prepare from a state of fear, because I do have something to believe in. I hope you do too. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
4: Well, I see him on the TV preaching about the promised lands. He tells me believing Jesus steals the money from my hands. Some say he was
3: a good man. Lord, I think he's sinning 22
4: years of mental tears. Try suicidal, in down, baby. body losing more on a boring show. To find his country, didn't want him back. The is to his best friends in Saigon Our Lord took his wife and his kids No regrets Any time I don't remember
3: Any war he can't forget He cried forgive me for what i done there Cause I never meant the things I
1: did And give me something to lose there's a lot of love I give you something to
4: believe in Oh, I know what i My
3: best friend died a lonely man In some palm springs a hotel I got the call last Christmas evening They told me the news I tried all night not to break down